So I can get loud, just to warn you. God! Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's perfect. What's up, everybody? My name is Cole Harris. Today, I'm here with Matt Keller. What's going on? Um, y'all probably met Matt before, but if y'all don't, he is uh, married. He has three children. He is a family pastor here at Forestville Baptist for how long did you say? Three, three years. Three, three years, years, yeah. You have a couple seminary de- seminary degrees um, from a school in Fort Worth, right? Yeah, Southwestern Seminary. Southwestern. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about a, a, a topic that I'm more interested in that's a little more important I would, I would say so today we're talking about Catholicism yeah and uh, I would like to encourage y'all today to just listen to everything we have to say today um, if we say things that y'all necessarily don't agree with um, I would encourage y'all to just pursue these questions pursue these answers on your own time don't just take our word for it don't just take other people's word for it um, really pursue these things and make decisions for yourself um, so that being said, I would like to start off by asking you, Matt, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the Catholic Church, um, Protestants, Protestant churches, you know, we, we get the most of the core things right. We just disagree on some small things. We disagree on this, that, but we all worship God. Yeah. We're all Christian. Um, what would you say? Why is it so important to understand what we're talking about today, which is the doctrine of justification? Yeah. Why is it so important that we understand the differences, the key differences? Well, I'd say you take a couple of steps back. It's like where we where we agree with Catholics would be, uh, especially Trinitarianism, mm-hmm. that we believe that there's Father, Son, and Spirit. They are uh, um, three in person, one in essence, equal yeah. in uh, glory, power, honor, not just purpose. Yes, purpose. Um, that's a Mormon thing. They, they would believe they're not. A co-equal in power yeah. and glory and honor they're only equal in purpose we believe as christians um that the triune god is father son and holy spirit three in person but one in essence they are co-eternal all-powerful all-knowing those descriptions that we usually use for um for god right all-knowing all all-powerful all good um sovereign um whatever loving um <laughs> gracious Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You know, yeah. Exodus 34. Um, Catholics would agree with us on this. Yeah. Right? Um, and even then, the formation of of these doctrines come through what the Catholic Church holds as their tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, people like uh, Augustine, which is, you know, 400s, uh, the Nicene Creed, which um, to say that, that's, you know, 325, the idea of... There being actually a Catholic Church as we know it today in 325 would be a kind of problematic. So there's these these guys named the Apostolic Fathers. Um, yeah. You can actually just like go on Amazon, type in Apostolic Fathers, and a book will come up. Yeah. Um, it's about six, eight um, writings, different writings. One of them is Ign- the Letters of Ignatius, uh-huh. right? And he actually, from the get-go, you know, this is probably early 100s. Um, so let's say possibly 20. 20, 30 years after John wrote what he wrote in Revelation, um, Ignatius says that where the bishop is, the church is, which is foundational for Catholic teaching. And you get to 200s and you get all these issues about um, people who have um, been persecuted and and 
and denied their faith. Um, they called the lapsed, right? The people who have lapsed from their faith. A guy named Cyprian who basically says the same thing. It's like you can't have, he says this phrase, and this is, this is more of a summary of his phrase, but you can't have, you can't have yeah. um, God as your father without having the church as your mother. Um, so this idea that you need this one singular avenue of a physical church that exists in reality here, like with a head and a bishop and all that stuff, it's really old. Yeah. It's really, really old. Um, it's just not as clean cut as we, the history of the church is not as clean cut as most Catholics want to make well, it. Yeah. Want to believe. Where, where like, you know, the, the, you know, which was the Bishop of Rome, the, the Pope is the Bishop of Rome, right? Uh, the one who is representing Christ ultimately with with authority to speak from the chair in a revelational viewpoint, um, the thought of that existing in the 100s is insane. Yeah. So it's, it's messier than this, right? Uh, I don't know it, how fast it, you want to move through this, but it's, it's way messier than this. Well, I have a I have a uh, a description of a Christian in the Catholic church here from evangelicalfocus.com. Okay. And it will base, it's basically describing the Catholic church and justification. So yeah. I'll read this and then I'll let you go into more detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it says the sinner begins the process of being made righteous through the sacrament of baptism, which is then completed through the sacrament of confirmation administered at the age of reason and continues the process through good works in the sacraments, especially the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is communion. This process can be inhibited by committing venial sins and undone entirely by committing mortal sins. The reality of which makes assurance of one's salvation practically impossible, which venial, I mean, I don't know if y'all want to stop on this. You want to stop on this, but venial no, is... Keep going. Keep going? Keep okay. going. So, um, when one does commit a sin, it is necessary to be restored via the sacrament of penance, the second plank after the shipwreck that was wrote, written in parentheses, by which the sinner makes restitution for the offense. Venial sins can be absolved through verbal confession, whereas mortal sins are accompanied by acts of self-affliction, such as, such as fast, prayer, almsgiving, and additional works of devotion. For most people, the process of being made righteous is not completed at the moment of death, at which, the time, at what, at which time the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is administered. Personally, I don't know what that means. Yeah, so last rites. Last rites, okay, last so... Rites. And it says, and therefore it continues after death in the place known as purgatory, where the sinner is further purged of sinful inclinations towards venial sins until he or she achieves a perfect state of righteousness and consequently may enter into God's presence. And then the last thing it says, for some people, however, the process of being made righteous through good works in the sacramental system is completed before death, so you don't need to go into purgatory. Um and to state the matter differently, these saints post-perfection good works may be shared. So if a person doesn't need to go to purgatory, they can then share um, post-perfection good works with average Catholics who lack full righteousness, yeah. righteousness which is called the treasury of merit. Yeah. Um, in summary, it may be said that in the Catholic system of salvation, justification is a process that includes the entirety of one's life and is... And it is only at the end of this process that one can be truly justified. Yeah, so a lot of stuff there. Uh, yeah, I, that, I, that's a very, yeah, so a lot it, of information. Yeah, I'm talking about a bunch of different like aspects of Catholic practice. I think 
So one of the things we need to do is take a step back and, and say like why, like what forms this. And a lot of this, uh, the thoughts here come from a guy named Leonardo DiCirico. He's an Italian dude, right? DiCaprio? Uh, Leonardo no, 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 no. <laughs> not DiCaprio, right. Uh, um, um, no Titanic going on here. Yeah. Um, they, um, so he's a, he's a um, I think he's a former Catholic. He's Italian, um, got, basically wrote his Ph.D., on the state of Roman Catholicism today, right? Um, so the other the other guy I get all of this from is this guy named Greg Allison, who's a professor at Southern Seminary, who actually like um, worked alongside this Leonardo dude um, back in the day, like 20, 30 years ago. Um, so there's two principles that they argue, the, the, the Kiriko guy and Allison argue, that are foundational for understanding things like the doctrine of justification, like how you are made right with God. Um, the two things are nature, grace, interdependence, and then Christ church, Christ slash church interconnection. So they're, they're tied together. So the idea is nature, grace, interdependence would be that a Protestant would argue that, that nature is broken and fallen and crying out to the Lord. And right, Romans clarif- 8. To clarify our nature, humans' nature. Yes, yeah, so new, your nature and, and the world. The world. Right, the world as a whole. Humanity included are, are broken and fallen and separated from God, right? Yeah. Um, without the capacity naturally to to be reconciled to God or to... Um, Overcome this state of brokenness on Yes, our own. exactly right. Exactly right. That, that The idea of you, you somehow being a means or a... a a um, avenue of grace to somebody else or a thing in our world being a means of grace to somebody else would be impossible to a Protestant because our world's broken, right? To the Catholic, they would say there's this nature, grace, interdependence that, that nature, right? Our humanity, um, the things in this world, whether they're like nature or philosophy or our ability to think aren't so fallen that God can't give grace through them. Right, and so the idea would be is that that you have this capacity in you um, and in the world in general, right, to receive grace from God by normal, natural means in your daily life. This is why marriage is a sacrament. Yeah. Right. That it's not to to a Protestant marriage is uh, we we we'd even use the word covenant maybe. Um, so let me break it, dumb it down a little bit. Yeah. So basically. God can implement grace yeah. into a believer's life through an act, a sacrament, marriage, baptism. Is it, that's the where God can then impl- implement grace into our lives. Whereas a Protestant would believe grace is only implemented the day we believe. Well, and, no, no, directly, directly in relationship. Okay, right. Directly so this, in relationship. Yeah. Okay, so this, yeah. this is the idea of the church, Christ Church interconnection, is that that what you have here is that since nature is not so fallen, you have things like the Eucharist where you have elements, right? Uh, the wine and the bread yeah. um, or the wafers, you know, whatever it is they're, they're practicing with um, that are able to be avenues and means of grace to you, right? There are natural elements, right? There, there are things you can physically touch, taste, smell, right? Um, we would say there's nothing special. A Protestant would say, um, there's a lot of disagreements about this, but um, among Protestants even, but a Protestant would, would not agree with the idea of transubstantiation where that that 
that, that element for, yeah can be a means by which you you actually receive grace and even i read that in the catholic church sometimes they'll display the wafer no no it usually is yeah it's usually most catholic churches um the the elements are on a display in the church yeah. in a glass casing that they believe that literally so tell me if i'm wrong but protestants believe the communion is you know a symbol but we're partaking in yeah but Catholics where it's controversial is they believe that the literal body of Christ is in that wafer to the point where you're worshiping the wafer. Yeah, they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't they wouldn't want to say you're worshiping it. They would want to say that that there's a spiritual truth happening okay. behind the scenes that you can't taste, touch, or smell. Okay. You can't taste it, but but the means by which you receive them is physical. Gotcha. So gotcha. that would be the issue. We would say so. Lutherans would ultimately say that the that the presence is somehow with and or in and around the elements, not in them. Uh, a reformed guy, like a, a normal Calvinist or Presbyterian, would say that Christ's real presence is there, but it's more like a a, a worship thing in your heart. Yeah. Right. And a, and a Baptist would say that it's just an ordinance, right? It's something you do to remember Jesus. Yeah. Um, so all that said, though. That think through these things, that this idea of justification is tied to this because you aren't so broken that you can't somehow, you know, um, grow in righteousness to a point where you are are so good that you should be saved. Yeah. Right. And this is the idea. Uh, a Protestant would say, no, you are so broken, so fallen. You are so depraved in a sense that you have rebelled against God. There is no hope for you in this natural world in order to be made right with God. The only means by which you can do it is by faith alone. Yeah. Right. And Protestants would agree across. The thing. This is ties into justification because this is why the nature of grace thing is tied into a tr- Christ church connection. It's the idea that that the church is the ongoing incarnation of Jesus' presence in this world. So the means by which you receive grace is only through the Catholic Church to the Catholic because there's this connection between... They've almost implemented the sacraments into your sanctification and justification process. Like no, 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 it definitely is. You can't get one without the other. Yeah, and then so so there's a couple of things. I don't want to just act like I'm making this up. So I have the catechism of the Catholic Church right here um, that I want to... Uh, give you some quotes from that I'm just not making things up. I want to give some explanation to this. Um, so this is the part on justification. And when you read it by itself, you're like, oh man, this is awesome. This sounds just right. Let me find the right references. 536 right here. So this is this is um, the part on justification. You can look this up for yourself. This is uh, part three of the um, catechism and it's article two. It says grace and justification. The grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us, that is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So I stop there. I'm like, that, that sounds, that yeah, sounds that's awesome. That's Hold on a second. And through baptism. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the means by which you can receive, right? Think of natural nature grace, a natural means through baptism, through an element, through a physical thing, you can receive grace. That is the waters of bat- well, mm-hmm. you know, the sprinkling of baptism from the priest. We don't need to get an authority yet. So I got a couple more quotes for you. Yeah, authorities. A whole other issue. Yeah. Um, and it's tied into this, but this is what it says. Justification, or being made right with God, right? The, the, the means by which you are declared righteous, detaches a man from sin, which contradicts the love of God, that is sin contradicts the love of God and purifies his heart of sin. 
Justification follows upon God's merciful initiative of offering forgiveness. It reconciles man with God. It frees him from enslavement to sin, and it heals. It's, this is good statements right here. I'm like, yeah, I, I agree that yeah. it, it, that that this the idea of um, expiation, right? That you have uh, Leviticus 16, where um, Day of Atonement, where they confess sins over two goats. One, they slit its throat to say that I deserve the punishment of that goat, and the other one, they confess the sins of the uh, um, their their own sins over the goat and the sins of the nation over the goat, and they kick it out of town. To idea the idea of that you're free from the guilt of that sin. Yeah. Right. So keep, there's there's more here. So let me read one more thing. Um, a couple more things actually. Um, justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ who offered himself on the cross as a living victim, holy and pleasing to God and whose blood has become the instrument of atonement for the sins of all men. Which sounds good. Which sounds right, right? Uh, this is like Hebrews, right? Yeah. The idea that his death is the, the, the atoning, the atonement for you, right? Yeah. Justification is conferred in baptism. So they just throw it in there. Yeah. Like they, they like, and that's the tricky part about when we talk about the Catholic churches, they're saying the things right, but they implement these sacraments as almost requirements. It's it's a add on to yeah, the work. It's a work. So, so let's read it one more time. Justification is conferred in baptism. So here's a couple things. This is the big distinction between Protestants and Catholics, that we would say that you are justified by faith alone, through grace alone. This is things like Ephesians 2, right? Not of your works, but grace through faith, right? Um, this is uh, Romans chapter 3, that, uh, that people are justified by faith alone, basically. Or it, it doesn't say alone. It's just by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, ultimately there, we would say it's by faith alone. They would say it's, well, yeah, you need faith, but you need your baptism. So yeah. realize who who do you know who Catholic Church baptizes right babies yeah infants so that you would escape the Adam the sin from Adam correct? yeah so that the stain of original sin so th what this is actually teaching is that you are somehow justified without any capacity to have faith because because you know a, a a two week old has no capacity to have faith in the object that is Jesus Christ and another thing on. Uh... A TikTok, actually, I saw the video of, in the podcast, the Reformata Initiative. Reformata Initiative, yeah. And on TikTok, I saw the video of the Pope talking about the atheists who went to heaven. Yeah. So the atheist, y'all can go look this video up. Um, a little boy, his dad passed away, but he was an atheist, and he asked the Pope, yeah. um, is my dad in heaven? And the Pope said, your dad is in heaven, and then y'all go watch the video. But he based his answer that even though his dad was an atheist, because he baptizes four kids, he was in heaven. Yeah. Which, any if you read this book at all, you will not find that answer. Yeah. So, and the thing is, I like on in that video when I watched, I was like, I obviously have like compassion for the Pope because yeah. he's got a little kid whose dad just died. I'm like, I'm not gonna be a jerk and say exactly. like, suck it up, kid. You're 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 you know your dad's in hell. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna do that. Um, yeah. What you want to do is is be gracious as a part part of that. It's like like you'd say something like I don't know his heart, like I don't know if yeah, he like truly I believed. don't know if he truly cried out to God before yeah. he died. You know, you can't know his heart, but at the same time, that I, the point I was trying to make when I'm bringing that up yeah. is the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church, directly is talking about the sacrament of baptism as yeah. that the, his passageway to heaven. Yeah, and that's the leader of their church. Well, and the assumption would be so that. 
that justification cannot happen apart from baptism. Yeah. Right? So listen, like think about this really closely. So say, for like an example, say I profess faith, uh, faith in Jesus and I'm on my deathbed, but I don't, if I'm a Catholic at yeah. least, and I don't get the baptism in the, ba- in the Catholic Church. You still have the rest of original sin on you. Yeah. Even, so it's yeah. questionable, right? There would be questionable because there's been last 50 years, especially since this thing called Vatican II, which was a council, right? That was that 70 years ago. Yeah, um, that um, there's been a, a hint of universalism in the Catholic Church going around. But again, the issue is that we want to take the official teaching of the Catholic Church versus what some random people believe. And what it says here is justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us, that is baptism, to the righteous, righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. So the idea is that it's not that somehow baptism, the waters are inherently magical. It's that God, the means, the means by which God shows grace is through baptism. Yeah. Right. Um, they would still say it's by grace because right. It's that, that it's not the water itself. It's not even the priest confession itself. It's the grace coming through those things. That, that leads to, this is the idea of the tri- Christ church interconnection and the, the nature grace interdependence that they're, they're saying that this nature, this thing of nature, that is the water and the, the thing that is nature, that is the it's priest confession the is working through these things to confer yeah. and give you justification. Yeah. So faith is necessary, but, but the idea of an infant having faith, the only faith they could have is the faith of their parents in a sense. In, even that isn't even. I mean, I was baptized in the Catholic Church as a newborn. Yeah. And even, I mean, a Baptist. You know, my stance on this: if I had a choice, I wouldn't have chosen to get baptized till I was about middle school. So I actually yeah. can choose. Yeah, yeah. Know what I'm thinking. And there, there's a lot of disagreements over that. Um, I think, I think there have been people. My wife, as an example, like that have been baptized too young, and we're kind of just going through the motions. Yeah. But the distinction would be is that we would say. You know, Baptist would say that that they are not. The baptism is not, is not a means of grace. It's a public confession, right? It's, a, it's, it's a, almost as getting in front of a crowd saying, "I'm following Jesus." Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so the difficulty comes, and in, in my experience with like people with family members who are Catholics and um, friends who are Catholic. I mean, like uh, Floresville's, you know, two thirds Catholic, at least Catholic in name. Um, one of the issues that comes up is that, oh, well, I'm a Catholic would say, yes, I am saved by faith, right? That they would they say the faith that was conferred to them through the church in baptism. They'd also say they're saved by grace, right? So let me read. This is from the Catechism Part 3 again. Um, grace is participation in the life of God. It introduces us to the intimacy of the Trinitarian life by baptism, the Christian participates in the grace of Christ, the head of his body, which is really important with the authority idea. Yeah. This is uh, 1999, section 1999. The grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift that God makes to us of his own life infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and sanctify it. This is the most important, this is the important part right here. It is the sanctifying or deifying grace received in baptism it is in us the source of the work of sanctification so the baptism itself is the source 
Yeah, so it's a source, but not only what it does for you, it's a source of justification and sanctification by grace, right? But what it, what it gives you ultimately is the means by which you grow in righteousness. So the idea yeah. would be like, they would still say, okay, if, if you had this conversation and said, well, like, well, I'm, I'm a Protestant, I believe that, or I'm evangelical or whatever you want to call it. I'm a Christian, I believe that I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone, right? Well, the Catholic should be able to respond from their teaching. Well, I'm saved by grace through faith too, but not grace alone through faith alone is the yeah. real distinguishing marks. Yeah. Right? Because the means by which what you need is a couple of different things. You need, you need faith. Uh, uh, any Catholic would say that you need personal faith, right? You can't just go through the motions. Um, it's, it's meaningless then. You need personal faith. You need the church. You have to have the church as your mother, the Roman Catholic Church, the true church, right? What they would say the true church in order to receive these gifts of grace, right? But then you need your own personal um, growth and sanctification, your own personal yeah. growth and holiness and being more like Jesus. But correct me if I'm wrong, this idea of sanctification we're dipping into. Yeah. They don't, the Catholic Church doesn't differentiate the two. Neither does the Protestant Church in a way, but they believe you can't fully be justified. Um, like your sanctification and justification process are the same. Um, yeah, they're, 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 I would argue they're, they're parallel. Parallel, yeah. They're in a sense that... Um, well, and it goes into the idea like you can't be assured of your salvation. Like you can't be like, oh, I know if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, no, no way. Yeah, no the way. Catholics don't believe that. Because the, the, you need infused righteousness. You need a growth in righteousness to a certain point to where you don't have to deal with uh, sins that you're dealing with in purgatory, right? The idea yeah. of purging, the, the root of purgatory, where you would go to um, purgatory because you still have sins that need to be dealt with, right? Yes. And you need to grow as a person in righteousness and holiness to get to a point where you are able to stand before the, the throne of the Lord. Yeah. Where the distinction would be, a Protestant would say, no, 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 this happens. Your, your right standing before God, your complete reconciliation with God happens the moment you have faith. And I even have a, this is a, from Catholic.com. It says, um, he, this is a, uh, an example of if, if you were being talked to by a Protestant, and this is what a Catholic would say, are you saved? Ask the fundamentalist. The Catholic should reply, as the Bible says, I am already saved. And it refers to Romans 8, 24, Ephesians 2, 5, we're saved by okay. grace. And then it says, but I'm also being saved. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 2 Corinthians 2, 15, Philippians 2, 12. And I have the hope that I will be saved. Then again, quote scripture, like the Apostle Paul, I am working out my salvation in fear and trembling yeah. with hopeful confidence in the promise of Christ. Yeah, that's Philippians 2 um, at the end there. The real thing comes down to the real the real issue comes down to we would say that a Baptist a Protestant would say that that sanctify that sanctification is ultimately rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is 
founded upon your justification, right? You can't be sanctified. You can't be somehow sanctified without being justified, right? You have to yeah. have that first. And it's an outworking of your salvation, uh, a new heart given to you, a new covenant given to you. Uh, Ezekiel 36 talks about this, where, where God promises in the Old Testament there will be a time where he, he will bring a new covenant where um, you, your heart of stone will be ripped out and you'll be given a heart of flesh that wants to obey God's commands. Yeah. But we would distinguish that in saying what's bought for you in the new covenant right, is not what gets you the new covenant. And if that makes any sense at all, right? We are bought with a price, which is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, his perfect life in our stead, his sacrificial death to, to take the wrath of God on himself and the guilt and, and weight of our sin off of us. And he rose again, Romans 5 talks about it, for our justification, to prove that he is God and to defeat death. And our response is to trust in him and him alone to make us right with God. Yeah. From that, we have a cha radically changed life. And to to very really simplify what you just said, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, the, the, the Protestant believes that we are saved and a true Christian, if you are truly saved, as a byproduct of that, you will be sanctified, which sanctification means you grow in holiness, yeah. you become more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. And, you know, Paul Washer had a great analogy of this. He talks about First John 1, 9, I think, okay. when it says you walk in the light. Yeah, as he is in the light. As he is in the light. And he used an analogy of a, um, a little boy walking in the snow behind his dad. Yeah. The little boy is going to try to put his shoes in his father's footsteps but he's not going to live in, in perfection. He's going to yeah. miss. He's going to fall. He's going to like flail. Yeah. But it's obvious from the bystander that it's clear he wants to live like his yeah. father. The analogy is a Christian living like Jesus. You can't have that if you are not truly justified in, yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Whereas that is different than what the Catholics believe because they believe. Yeah, so what you need, yeah, 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 so what you need though. So the analogy I like to use in conversations like this is uh, um, running a race, right? Um, so if you let's say you're going to run a 400 meter race track, you know, one lap, you know, one lap around the deal, like the idea of one life, right? Um, <laughs> let's say in a sense that you are, you are like given everything that you need to get there. You are taken there, you know, on the bus, you're given all the, the stuff you need, all the food you need, all the objects you need, and you are given it to it without any cost on your behalf, right? Yeah. That'd be justification in my mind, right? That you are, you're taken to the race. Um, by grace alone, yeah. right? You did not do anything to deserve it. You might be a terrible runner, you know? Yeah. Um, the idea of sanctification would be, and analogies fall apart, so don't take this analogy too far. Um, just like the, the, the father walking behind the son, you know? Yeah. That, um, it's a, yeah, yeah, so the idea for me of sanctification would be is that once the, once the, you know, the gun shot off and you take off or whatever, there might be people, there might be Christians who, you know, pull a hammy, you know, first the first step, and they limp the whole way the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. There might be people who, you know, run as fast as they possibly can, but they get distracted. Oh, there's Steve over there. I'm going to take a break and go walk over and talk to Steve. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I might go to the concession stand or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, so the idea would be that that you, again, this folds apart really easily, but the idea would be that that you getting to the race is by grace alone. You running the race in a sense of like following after Jesus is a work of your effort, but also a work of the Holy Spirit in your life that is bought for you through Jesus' resurrection, yeah. right? And so you're not sitting there running the race in the Christian life 
to prove yourself to God, right? You're not climbing up the mountain. You are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. That and not in a sense of to justify yourself, not in a sense to to show to God and somehow feel and experience. Oh, I know I'm a Christian because I did. Oh, I I gave money to the poor. I went to church Sunday and I was you know I I cooked dinner for my family. Well, yeah. those two things don't prove your justification. You know, whatever list of stuff that you want to make up, it doesn't prove your justification. What proves your justification is that you have faith and you trust in your heart, in your mind in Jesus Christ's work and work alone. And so you, in response to that, in response to the power of God in your life, that you work out your salvation, you live it out. Yeah. And, you know, talking about the sacraments, you know, we're talking about the sanctification of a Christian or Protestant Christian. You know, talking about sinning after salvation is kind of where yeah. I was thinking about First John yeah. 9. You still sin after your salvation, so what's different? Yeah. Um, First John one nine talks about walking in the light. Um, if you were to live with me, uh, this is another Paul Washer now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were to take a picture of me kicking a cat, oh, Cole's not a Christian. Yeah, Cole, Paul Washer's not a Christian. But if you were to live with me a year round, I, you would see me fall short, but you also see my heart for Christ. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but the difference in the Catholic Church, like that's we're talking about, like the Protestant salvation and justification and sanctification. The Catholic Church believes that you lose your justification when you sin after salvation, correct? Yeah, moral sins. Yeah, moral sins, very clear. Through moral sins. Like, if you just, like, have a bad day and you're grumpy, you know, that might be still a sinful attitude, but you're not just somehow, like, you know, a Well, talks about, I was telling you the other day about a a person's intention. So a mortal sin is Galatians 5. I don't know if you have it memorized. No, I haven't memorized it all. I know there's, there's one that's sexual impurity... Um, jealousy, envy, um, pride. Um, they're, they're big sins, right? Yeah. But they are sins that people commit often, I would say, you know, like envy, jealousy, those are very common sins. So in the Catholic church, in their theology, you would have to, when you commit one of these sins with a intention of purposely committing one yeah 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 it's not just accidentally falling into it then if you die before you go to confession a sacrament penance etc yeah. you will go to hell well or purgatory or purgatory and say it depends on who you're talking to and and where they actually are so let me read that so the works of the flesh are evident sexual morality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery um, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, which is actually a big one for the Catholic Church. Um, the idea of like creating divisions in the church is a big deal. Envy, which is shocking to me. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned, warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about one, the idolatry one. Like when I used to think of idolatry, I was, you know, worshiping a goat or worshiping yeah. a but idolatry is literally you can worship work, you can worship mm-hmm. a sport, you can worship, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, I mean, especially me before I became a Christian, that's very common. Yeah. So Tim Keller does a really good job of this. That um, He talks about how when good things become ultimate things, right? When you're trying to find your, your ultimate satisfaction in good things, like even a spouse or a girlfriend, boyfriend, sex, um, these are good gifts from God, money, good gifts from God. Provisions, houses, whatever we, when you make, um, when you put your entire satisfaction on those things, whether it's a car, 
you know, it could be a thousand different things. Um, that's that's a, a form of idolatry. Yeah. And be very clear, um, I actually have a really interesting story about this, is that in our Western American mindset, that, like, we don't think of, of like, people in the world still doing this. This is kind of an aside here, but, like, I was uh, in Ecuador, this is probably, like, eight, nine years ago, um, talking to a group of people. We'd have three-hour Bible studies with, with these people called the Satchula, Um in Ecuador, basically like, yeah, kind of jungle, almost jungle. Um, we'd sit in these huts and we'd have two, three hour Bibles. It was so awesome. So I went through Exodus, uh, Exodus 30 and on, which talks about, um, you know, Aaron creating the, um, um, the golden calf, right? And he, you know, Moses comes down and Aaron's like, Hey, it just, it just popped out. Of, it just popped out of here, man. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what happened here. You know, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I sat there talking to them and I started describing idolatry in that sense of saying like, okay, like idolatry can, is, is about your heart, which I agree with. Um, but you can, you know, idolize, you know, things you can idolize people and not realizing that I'm sitting there talking to a people who worship the sun and the river. They yeah. literally idolize things, like like physical when things. They were in Ecuador, Ecuador. They were literally worshiping the sun. One thing, a lot of them, some of them were Christians there, but like their traditional faith, you know, with medicine men and all that stuff, is them appealing to the sun. Like they'll pray to the sun and to the river to give them life and to heal them of, of diseases and stuff like that. And you read them the golden calf. The golden calf. Passage. And the thing is, and I started talking to them, not realizing and not thinking through. Um, until my old pastor was sitting there next to me. It's like, you got to realize what they, you know, what they believe. You didn't even know. <laughs> well, I knew about it. I just didn't process yeah. it that way, right? Um, but here's the thing, though, is I think what the Bible says, Bible pushes towards um, ultimately is that we are all w- wicked rebels. And so um, John Calvin would talk about how our, our hearts are idol factories, that we just sit there and make up idols out of the craziest things. Like, yeah. like whether it's money or video games, right? Or your your talent to do something. To yeah, you're just prone to to um, rebel. Yeah, and make idols. And so I would believe that one of the core confrontations you would have is talking about the the nature of sin. Like what what is at the heart of what is the na- actual nature of your sin? Are you rebelliously rebelliously wicked, or are you just kind of like half broken? Right, and that's kind of what the Catholic Church compares it to, correct? Yeah. Well, the, like the venial part of yes, it. Yes, yes. That um, that like, the idea oh, that it can be have... ultimate category, uh, categorizing of different type of actions. The real issue is your heart. Well, but and, and correct me if I'm wrong. If I go out and I can't even think of, I, I'm jealous, but not intentionally being jealous. Yeah. That's still a sin. It is. It is. Even though, and then if I'm intentionally prideful, like, oh, I'm a boast, I'm a boast. Yeah. But if someone comes up to, hey, Cole, you're being prideful, I'm like, really, I didn't even know. Yeah. Either way, it's still a sin. Yeah, it's still a sin. But yeah. that's the issue when you talk about losing your salvation. Sa- yeah. Salvation is the Catholic Church compares venial sins to things that don't. I don't know how to describe it, but when you start diagnosing sin as worse and not as bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. then yeah, you start. Then you start going down the uh, the road is somehow you can earn your way. You got to yeah. stay away from these things, and you can. Yeah, well, and Christianity becomes a negative about what you don't do. Yes. Don't do this because this is this is this is the line here. Don't do the mortal ones, but you can. You're good with the venial. Yeah, well, then on on the other side of it, actually, that um, I think this downplays the idea of the love of God for you. Yeah. That that he he will never leave you for, nor forsake you. That he would 
he would hold you in his hand, as John 10 says, that his sheep would hear his voice and he would lose none of his sheep. Right. John six talks about that. Um, at the root of it would be is that there are different consequences to different sins. I wholeheartedly believe that. Right. There's a different consequence uh, to I mean, practically, like there's a different consequence to lying to your kid at home versus lying on your taxes. And think about murdering somebody, that consequence, because you're actually taking someone's life life versus being angry. But Jesus very clearly puts your relationship with God in sin, right, your own sin, in terms of a heart issue. Yeah. Right? Matthew 5. Matthew 5, yeah. Yeah. Whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery as every, Even though... In retrospect, I don't even know if that's a word. But, it is, it is. But there are different degrees of sin, but Jesus raises every sin to the yeah. highest degree that if you commit one, it's like almost perfect broken. Even yes, though it, exactly right. There, there's very, there's sin varies. Like yeah. There's different consequences, of course. That would be naive to say that, that there wasn't. But any sin you commit, whether it's of the heart or right. actually killing somebody, you're broken or not. Well, and that's the idea is that when we say people are, when, when I say people are wicked rebels, I'm not saying every every sinner or every person is a sinner to the fullest, fullest extent they can be. Yeah. This isn't the purge. Like maxed out. I'm saying this sinning. isn't the purge, right? We're not just going around with masks on, shooting everybody up, right? There are people that do that. Um, you think real... about Romans 3. You know, yes. no one has a heart for God. Yes. You know, even if you think you do, you don't because yeah. he's perfect. Well, and then I'd argue that that you, the times where you do have a heart for God and you are seeking after him, it's a product of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Yeah. Right? So here we one more thing. So this really gets down to it for me. So this is Article 3 right here. It says the church, mother, and teacher. It is in the church in, the com- in communion with all the baptized that the Christian fulfills his vocation. From the church, he receives the word of God containing the teachings of the law of Christ, which is all over the New Testament, the idea of us not being under the law of Moses, but under the law of Christ. From the church, he receives grace of the sacraments that sustains him on the way. So I'd argue that there is an entrance aspect to the sacraments. There is an ongoing growth aspect to the sacraments. Yeah. Right? So that you would, you separating from the church, Right? If you're a Catholic, if you if you pull yourself away from the church and you are not a committed member in a sense, right? That you are not growing in your sanctification. That, that's the be very clear. It's the it's the means by which you grow. The only means. So I want to move the Catholic Church. Is through the Catholic Church. So I know it's a switch from us talking about the core issue of justification yeah. to sanctification. I believe this is problematic. I think this is massively well, problematic. This- like we're talking about the core issue of justification and we're already venturing into how this affects it's a trickle effect yeah, because yeah. oh the catholic church is the one true church if they don't even consider themselves christians because yeah. like you just said without the church the catholic view is you don't have sanctification yeah and so so here you go so this is this is where it ties into it is a section called the moral life and the magisterium of the church or basically the, the, the hierarchical structure right um the roman pontiff which is Right, which is the Pope, right, the, the, yeah. the Bishop of Rome. And the bishops are authentic teachers, that is, teachers endowed with the authority of Christ who preach the faith to the people entrusted in them, the faith to be believed and put into practice. Let me skip down a little bit. The supreme degree of participation in the authority of Christ is ensured by the charism of infallibility. 
Basically, the infallibility extends as far as does the deposit of divine revelation. It also extends to all those elements of doctrine, including morals, including morals, without which the saving truth of faith cannot be preserved, explained, or observed. So here's the picture, right? You need this authority that is that is founded in the Catholic Church through what is the vicar of Christ, right? Which is the the, the bishop of Rome, or or vicar means representative, right? Um, the representative of Christ on this earth, which is the Pope. That if you don't have this structure, and if you don't have this organization, which is the Roman Catholic Church, this is what you lose. Without which, the saving truths of faith cannot be preserved explained or observed that's a big word to me that you cannot literally this is, this is the idea so not only can you not be saved apart from baptism justified apart from baptism um and be in the right with god all is lost there's only one avenue by which you are made right with god and you grow with god and that is the roman catholic church according to their teaching and that is why like, they, they, actually, they, since you say that, like, I've known the saying, oh, the Catholic Church is the one true church. Yeah. Catholics don't consider themselves Christians. Everyone's kind of heard that. But that directly tells us why these things are real, why the Catholics. Yeah. Like, that directly is the point. Like, I've yeah. always known that, but yeah. I never know why. Yeah, so you would lose, basically, the idea is that if you don't have the Catholic Church in its structure— Right, that that they would argue is is given by God, which we could talk about that in Matthew sixteen and eighteen if you wanted to, with the idea of authority. But if you don't have that authority, you don't have the gospel. Yes. And so Protestants would say. So let's let's take a step and be practical here for a minute, if you don't mind. Right, that that I would believe believe an evangelical, which is just a, a messed up term. Don't even get me started on that, that term evangelical, especially. Even, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just so messy. Yeah. Um, like, you would have people who would deny the Trinity who would call themselves evangelical. I did a, uh, a speech on evangelicals yeah. in college, and the term, to be considered evangelical, it's uh, the Bible is the highest form yeah. of the word. You believe that Jesus is the only atonement for your sins. Yeah. And then, like, two other baby questions. Like, yeah. you don't, to be considered evangelical, it's not hard. Yeah, it's really, really, really wide. Yeah. Um, so all that said, I would be, I want to say biblical Christianity says that there is a universal church that is ultimately invisible. It's not a physical structure and doesn't have a physical hierarchy. I'd want to say that there are Christians all over the world that are united in Christ through their faith in Jesus Christ. So, so I am connected in a sense, united with Christ together with the, these underground Christians in China who meet in underground yeah. churches because they have faith in Jesus Christ. I am not connected to them through the hierarchy well, that is. What, what is the scripture when Jesus gave the keys to Peter? Yeah, so let's look, Mark, let's look at Mark 16, because, Matthew 16. Because the church there was a body of Christ, but Jesus never gave, because they believe, uh, Catholics believe Peter was the original bishop. Yes, but the bishop of Rome. There was no inerrant authority given to peter over the people the church was just the people so yeah. peter even though he was a disciple he did have some level of say so because yes. he's the leader of the church when well, i'd say the gospel being proclaimed as apostolic right the apostles yes. that came after him yeah but now i mean you can talk about me and you have the same authority as the pope or uh, any christian any yeah. christian has the same authority there's no yeah, that's, that's level, the, the, there's no hierarchy yeah. in a Christian, true Christian church. Yeah, and that would be priesthood of believers, the idea. That's First Peter and Second Peter. But this is, so this is Matthew 16. Um, Jesus basically says, let me summarize, who do people say the Son of Man is, right? He's talking about himself. 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and other Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. Jesus responded basically, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are to you, Simon Barjona. Excuse me. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This, this is the, the foundational teaching for the Bishop of Rome, the idea of the Bishop of Rome. That the, the, the binding and loosing is ultimately what we're talking about, the ability to forgive sins. The, the ability to, to um, be an avenue and means of grace to others. Um, yeah. So let me take a step back. That This is the idea that... Um, have we talked about the treasure, treasury of we merits? Have, I, yeah, I yeah. So, okay, yeah, treasury of merits. This is the idea is that um, treasury, you can think of a bank. I like to think of a pool, right? Like the, my, the analogy I always use when, when I have conversations about this is that, that the, the works of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the love of Christ – is in a sense this massive, massive pool. That basically, you're just never going to get to the bottom of it, right? Yeah, and he, and, yeah. And the idea is the Pope, because he has the keys, right? Can access it. He he can take a bucket, right? <laughs> and, he can go, go out of that pool, know, pool and give it to <laughs> exactly people. right. And that's the idea is that it trickles down. This grace, um, he is, um, he holds on to the keys, which is the means by which people can receive grace. Yeah, where the the Protestant interpretation of this passage is that the the rock, it, right? Petros and Peter, you know, it's supposed to be a play on words. Like we'd argue that Peter's not the ro- rock, that we'd argue his confession is the rock. And this yeah. is the, and I understand this is you know seventeen eighteen hundred years of church uh, church history writing and disagreeing about how this actually applies. So I'm I'm pretty slow to just say you guys are you know are foolish for believing this. Yeah. I want to slow down with that, but I'd ultimately say that what's really at the core is that that Peter says you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. What is he blessed for? What is Peter blessed for? He's blessed for that confession. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, is right after that, Jesus, this is the favorite thing. Jesus says, well, I'm going to die and rise again. And Peter's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, yeah. And so you get to Matthew 18. So this is, these are tied together, I believe. So this is talking about church discipline for the idea of, of Jesus talking about what would happen in the future. Right. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gathered in my name, there am I among them. Right? So this issue of forgiveness of sins is like, let me read one more time. Oh, truly, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a big, big passage because they would argue that the, the, the Bishop of Rome has, has the ability of binding and loosing, and he gives that authority he he disperses that authority to bishops cardinals then to bishops who disperse that authority to priests yeah so it trickles down this authority trickles down of binding and loosing on the church and this is a difficult passage to interpret 
So how would you say, like, for example, Jesus says that in the Catholic Church will take passages or anyone can take passages and pull it out and say, this is why we believe this. I would say you read Paul and Peter's teachings. You know, even Peter says... um, you don't need a a person in between. There's no mediator between you yes, and first, God. First Timothy, yeah, yeah, for sure. All it's Paul. these things. Yeah. So what, what does Paul? Jesus is it's Jesus talking, yeah. but does Paul and Peter's words not mean as much? Like I would say yeah. that Paul elaborates on yes. these things yes. and clarifies yes. and even goes further. Yeah. So I think there's this there's this idea of what I would call. Well, I just call it that the, that the church, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, is what I'd say, have been entrusted with the gospel. This binding and loosing is tied to the the confession of the church, yeah. right? And by confession, I don't mean a creed, which is what what the Catholic Church would have, which is a a statement made by men um, or women, right? That that is the authority for the church, right? What I would say is that the church is entrusted with the gospel. Right, which I would say is is, you know, who Jesus is and what he did. Right. And that yeah. that you are we already talked about this, but the idea that you place your faith and trust in him, we are entrusted with this as a precious, precious message. Yes. And our authority is solely and wholly not not H O, like W H O L Y, right? It's Completely God. rooted in your faithfulness to that message. Okay. So the binding and loosing idea for me would come through this idea of um, this is why I think there's, there's togetherness here is that that the apostles saw themselves entrusted with the gospel and as the authority they had was only in so much as they were faithful to that gospel, that truth, that good message of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Once once they were unfaithful to it, when they tried to wield authority for themselves, you have what I would argue is is Simon from was it Acts. Uh, around Acts 10 to 15, where he tries to buy the power of God for money. Right? Yeah. Right? The, the Simon the Magician, where he, he comes in, Peter's doing some awesome stuff and healing people, and Simon says, well, I want that. Like, I, I want what you have, so I'm yeah. going to buy it from you. Yeah. And so he's before. thinking he can receive this authority with money or by somehow some or any other means. And this is what happens in the early church, actually. Like, a really interesting thing. Don't want to go too far into no, this. Yeah, um, guys at Irenaeus, he lived in the, about, uh, around the 100s. He would argue that Simon is was the root of all heresy. I don't want to go that far, but I would start that spirit. That kind of spirit is the root of all, all um, contrary gospels. Yeah. Right? This idea of not only th- authority, but... You can but, get it somehow other than through Jesus himself. Yes. Like, like individually. One mediator between God yeah, and man, the can, man Jesus Christ. You can Christ. get the gifts and the byproducts that God provides without Jesus himself. Yes. And so, um, there's so many other issues, I'd argue. So, again, let's, get, let's go back and get a little bit practical. So, I believe there are Christians all over the world... Um, especially there's Christians that don't go to Baptist churches. Like, yeah. I don't think Baptist churches, there are some Baptists who say this, and I don't agree with them at all, but Baptist churches are not the one true church. The Church of Christ over there, like I'm literally like sitting here, you know, a Church of Christ over here, a Methodist church is over here, yeah. a Lutheran church is over here. We are not somehow the sole gospel presence in Floresville. 100%. We don't have, we don't have the corner on the market. Let me be very clear. The Catholic Church says they do have the corner of the market. Yeah. So if, if a Catholic 
I've, I've told this to a lot of people, um, especially teenagers, that if if your Catholic friend wants to condemn you or get upset at you, or a Catholic family member wants to get upset at you for saying, well, well, like, I don't agree with you, and, like, I have a problem with what you believe, be very clear. The official Catholic te- the teaching of the Catholic Church would say that I'm I'm condemned. Yeah, and that's another thing I was going to say in the beginning, but this is not a, oh, uh, Joe Blow down the street, he's a Catholic, believes this, or you'll see a family member over here. Well, I don't agree with that. You know, yeah. the official teaching, you can believe what you want, you know, yeah. pick and choose in the Catholic Church. This is the teaching of yes. the church. You can... You can't take it or leave it. Like this is what they yeah. say. So, well, my, I'm trying to be more positive about it in the, in the sense of, and <laughs> in, in the sense of, um, let's say you're having a conversation with a family member or a friend, and you say, "Well, I don't believe you're a Christian." Yeah. And you're like, "How could you? Oh, I believe you're a Christian." Like, if they respond to you, "Well, I believe you're a Christian," how you know you're being judgmental towards me? Be very clear that if you're like a Baptist or a Methodist or a Protestant in general or evangelical. The official position of the Catholic Church is that you are not a Christian. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I've so, actually so, told people that before. Yeah, so like that that they have to be equally condemning. Yeah. Um so let's be on the so positive. If side. you say you're not a Christian, that means I'm going to hell. Or one of us is going to hell. Yeah, one of one of us, one of yeah, us is going you, to hell. It can't just be both ways, yeah, right? That yeah. um so on the the again, trying to be as positive as possible. Yeah, that's focused. Um that I think the positive thing is that there are so many Christians that I know that are in so many different types of churches that don't believe one thing that, that I, I've known Catholics who don't believe one thing that comes out of the priest's mouth, yeah. right? Um, which is problematic. Why are you going to that church? But even then, what I would say is that I believe there, there are lots and lots of Christians in Catholic churches. Oh, I believe there are. But I, mean, I think it's in contrast to the official teaching of the Catholic church. I think it would be naive to say that all Catholics are going to hell. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's certain. And that's, you've mentioned something about the prosperity gospel, like this Kenneth Copeland thing. Yeah. See, that somehow God doesn't work through these, even though they're false, even though they're not yeah, right, yeah. that God can't work through. That would be yeah. doing God a disservice. One of the classic examples, Osteen, Joel Osteen. Yeah. I, I, I strongly, I love how he's encouraging, but like he is, I mean, I've watched so much Joel Osteen in, in the past, back when I was in my 20s. I couldn't sleep at night, so I just turned on the TV, TVN and stuff like that. Um, he would say things like, like, you know, you have a blessing cloud over you, and basically God doesn't want you to be poor. The, your problem is that you're not speaking into the blessing cloud, and God's not raining these blessings down on you. But at the end, end of all his message, he does a very succinct— I, I, I think there's some, he, could, he could elaborate a little bit better— um, but a very synced message about how God loves you and that Christ died for you. And to say that nobody's been saved by th- those, you know, those 40 words that he said at the end of his messages, I, w- I would be doing a disservice to what God can yeah. do. Yeah. I was just looking for a picture. He's talking about Joel Osteen. I had a, a screenshot on my phone. He was literally talking about manis- manifestation. Manifestation. Yeah. He's like, if you think positive. Yeah. Good things will come to you, and I was yeah. like, "That's the manifestation." Yeah, yeah. But if he says the state, if he, if he somehow in one of his messages says that that if you trust in Christ and who He is and what He did, you can be made right with God, and somebody sits there and believes it, if they didn't, if they didn't they, understand that person could catch that nugget. Yes, that's the most important exactly right. nugget you can catch. And in, and um, so I'd say the same thing in, in, in Catholic churches. I think there, are, uh, there's probably even priests. I, I'm. I'm hesitant to say that there's priests who share the gospel, but they, yeah. they would be in direct opposition to the official teaching of the Catholic Church. 
which is not impossible, of course. Yeah, it's not impossible. It's a rarity. Uh, and I have no way to judge There's like no the amount. There's no numerical answer yeah. to that. Um, so ultimately, it comes down to this issue of justification is what we believe about the church's authority. Yeah. Because do we believe that the church is the only means of grace that we have? No. And I think it even comes down to do we believe the Bible? I, I personally believe it's biblical versus human words. Yes, yes. I, and I agree with that. That, that what, again, the authority thing comes in that, that do you know the five solas of the Reformation, heard, right? So, so it's, it. it's grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone according to the word of God alone, right, to the glory of God alone, yeah. right? Well, the issue would be is that these, these five things are in contrast to Roman Catholic teaching, right? They would say faith and works. They would say grace and the church, right? They would say Christ. We don't need to go down too far into this, but like um, um, even Christ and ultimately your works or even Mary is not a means by which you, you are saved, She's a, she, she helps sanctify you. And there's, there's, there's so much more there. That's, I don't want to go too far. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to go down too far. Um, it wouldn't, it'd be scripture and tradition. Well, in the word of the Pope. And like, for example, a catechism on yes. catholic.com, it says the catechism more correctly diagnoses a believer's walk than the new Testament. That's interesting. That's what the catholic.com yeah. said. And y'all can go look that up. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Right. That, um, so they, and I don't want to, they'd want to say it's all God's glory. They wouldn't want to like yes. contrast that, but they would say um, tradition and scripture, and that tradition is ongoing through the vicar of Christ, the representative of Christ, which is yeah. the Pope. So that the Pope can can speak from the chair, right? It's not not to show you that every single thing that the Pope says is somehow like authoritative, but when the the Pope speaks in a certain way from the chair, ex cathedra is the word, right? From the chair or out of the chair that he is basically giving you the word of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And where, where Catholics or Protestants would say it's Scripture alone. Not that we can't have truth in other places. Not that we can't read other writers and in church history and learn from them. It's that the ultimate authority... Is the Bible. That comes in the Bible. So let me give you an example of this. I was talking to a teenager the other night, and he asked me, like, why don't you think we can lose our salvation? Lose our salvation, right? Like, why... I made a statement in my teaching, and I said, you know, you can't lose your salvation, um, especially your motivation for works and following after Jesus. shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to lose my salvation if I don't do this. Yeah. Like, it's a bad motivation. So he responded to me and came up to me afterwards and asked, like, why don't you believe that you can lose your salvation? And I said, it's not on the basis of experience. If it's on the basis of experience, I would believe you could lose your salvation, right? Because I've seen people, in a sense, walk away from their faith. You have passages like First Peter 1 that basically that you have an inheritance is indefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And many people would say you can't lose your salvation because if you end up walking away, you weren't truly saved in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that would be the plausibility, you know, the plausible explanation. And what it would come down to is I wouldn't want to be the ultimate judge of anybody. But at the same time, I would say that those who are, who are trusting in Christ, they are kept by God. Yeah. And so like like— my experience is not the determining factor of what I believe. Tradition, you know, how much I love church history and reading people from, you know, 500 years ago, 1,500 years ago, um, they are not, I judge them according to Scripture. 
I say, okay, here's scripture, here's them. If they don't agree, in my opinion, this trumps that. Bible yes, exactly trumps right. That. Exactly right. Whereas in the Catholic Church, your personal opinion doesn't matter as much. Is that the Pope's opinion? It wouldn't be opinion. Forgive me that. That's, that's a, mis, a miscue right there. The Pope's speaking from the chair and the Word of God from the Bible are equal. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's a means by which there, it, it's, God is working. It's almost, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's almost as if what the Pope says, like, hey, this is what we have in the Bible, but the Pope speaking is an advancement. Like, he can yes. he has the permission to elaborate. Yes. And, and then, see, especially on, like, like the idea of, like, um, the situations that are going on, like, today. For example, Pope Francis right now... Is, is pushing for um, letting, I don't know about all, but the, the last I read about it was that the, the possibility of them getting rid of um, um, uh, obligatory singleness for priests. Oh, yeah. The pre I, allowing priests that. get married. Um, there's some wishy-washy stuff going on, and I'm not really sure. There's a lot of uh, bishops who were, like, in an uproar about it. I'm like, how can you – like, I wanted to say, how can you push back against him? He is speaking – from He's the chair. Pope. He's your Pope. Um, but there's still, and the thing is, and this is the ideal we're talking about. This is the official teaching to make it practical, like, whether the priest down the road, literally down the road, believes all this. I don't know. Whether he, yeah. he holds all this, but this is what they teach. And so I would say that if you're a Christian, if you're a Protestant, you go to another church um, that's not the Catholic church, that you you are called with as much grace and respect and kindness and love. I'm just going to throw a bunch more words out there. <laughs> kindness and love that you can muster up. If you're talking to um, a family member or a friend who's a Catholic, you, you can't be a jerk about it. You yeah. can't somehow view yourself as morally or intellectually superior like, to them. Yeah. Like, but, well, I'm right, you're wrong. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, like, you're stupid. I'm a genius over here. Shut your mouth. Now, what the attitude should be is like, oh, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Where did you learn that from? The, 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 it would be the practical advice I'd give is that you ask questions and you don't, you don't assume statements. You don't assume what they believe. That person in front of you who's, who may be Catholic all their life, don't assume what they believe just because they go to a Catholic church. Just in the same way, I don't assume what Baptists, these Baptists believe at the church that I go to, yeah. that I minister at, just because they grew up in a Baptist church. I've met so many Baptists in the last, you know, 10, 12 years who hold some interesting views and some really serious doctrines. Yeah. I'm like, you know, we don't teach that here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and so the thing would be is I want to judge that person in front of you, uh, judge in a good way, right? Like yeah. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I'm going to be as uh, um, um, gracious as possible. So I want to read this. It's First Peter 3. Um, let me get there. And I think why you why you go there from experience with family and friends when I first became a Christian, like you said, being loving and gracious when you're talking to people, that is one area where I've there's types yeah. of experiences where I was the contrary of what we're supposed to be doing. What you yeah, just yeah. said, I yeah. was not. And when you really look at it, I can see how it turned out negative. Yeah. How it actually pushes people farther from Christ. How it, you know, shuts doors on you. Things yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let me read this. This is First uh, Peter three, um, verse fifteen. But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone, or an apologia, right? Uh, uh, 
a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah. Well, there's one thing that most men that I know do not want to be called is gentle. Yeah. And he is commanding all Christians everywhere to be like this. If you are in a conversation with somebody that, um, whether it's a Muslim, Hindu, atheist, or even, your, you know, your Catholic grandma or your Catholic cousin or your Catholic best friend, um, your response is, is to, yes, be very clear about what you believe and why you believe it from the scriptures, but do it with gentleness and respect. Yes. So, so then the other thing I'd be, the other piece of advice I'd say is that if there's um, any Christian, Christian listening or watching is that if you're having a conversation and you're really struggling through like that family member or friend who doesn't believe in, who you believe isn't saved, um, I believe the first step is for them to, to, for you to ask questions and then for, for them to investigate what they really believe and why they believe it. So you can ask probing questions like, why do you believe that? Like, who taught you that? Where do you find that in the Bible? Or the questions you need to ask, you, you make question statements instead of judgment statements. Yeah. Well, you, if you sit there and say, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. No, what you should respond with is like, okay, why do you believe that? This is what I believe. Why do you believe what you believe? And so then, then if you're in this discussion, in this argument, the hope would be to be calm and patient and not get heated. I know that's really hard. Um, but you, you would have to challenge them and keep the conversation ongoing and ask them, can you explain this? So, for example, like, I don't see anywhere where we could, you know, truly assume where, where the body, the, the, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Jesus. Your Catholic friend might just say, well, well this is what the Catholic Church, this is what I've always believed. Like, your, your challenge would be, it's like, you need to look this up. Make a decision for yourself. You need to make a decision for, for yourself, like for yourself. what what your church teaches and why you believe what their evidence is for this position. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and and across the board, especially justification. Well, you believe you're saved by by faith and works. Tell me why. Like, do you have scripture to back it up? Not just random scriptures. And can you articulate what what your church actually teaches? Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, I guess we to to finish off. We've been talking about a lot of you know, just specifically Catholic justification. Yeah. I want to read in the beginning. I started off with a picture of Catholic justification, and now I just want to finish with what Protestants believe is justification. Yeah. So Romans three. If you have anything there you want to share, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, you can. I'm on Romans four right now. Yeah, well, Romans four is a big one, also. About Abraham. Yeah, Abraham. Yeah. Um. So there's one for one section in Romans three that really like summarizes it well for me. Let me get there. Sorry, hard to find the chapter numbers in this. And I'm in the wrong book, anyways. Wait, what did you say? Romans what? Romans chapter three. Three what? I think it's around verse twenty-one. The righteousness of God through faith. Yeah. So the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He makes the distinction here between the Old Testament law and practice versus the Bible as a whole. Right? The law and the prophets, this is when many translations, they capitalize the L in law and the P in prophets because they're talking about the Bible as a whole versus the food laws and the sacrificial laws. Yeah. Right? Um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is faith, Right? Not for some who believe or some who believe and go to a certain church or believe and do a certain work. No, no, for all who believe. 
For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right with God, right? By his grace as a gift, as a gift, it's given to you through faith, right? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, right? Propitiation means wrath bearer. To be received by faith. That's big for me. Right? This is the yeah. root of the idea of faith alone, right? That, that how, do you, how do you have access to this? You receive it. Yeah. You don't go through other means. You don't get baptized. You don't do good works. You don't go to church on Sunday. No, no, no. You receive it by faith. Right? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. And this is tied into the sacrificial law, the idea like them sacrificed animals didn't get rid of their sin. God was just being patient with them. Yeah. Right? It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might, this is, I love this so much, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the real struggle is, is how can God forgive sins and still be good and still be just? Isn't it unfair that he's forgiving sins? It's like this is how he does it. Yeah. He does it through Jesus Christ taking on the wrath of human beings who believe in him. Right? And then, yeah. then it's received by faith. Yeah. And you trust in him. Romans 4 yeah. is the picture of Abraham telling us, correct? Yeah, this is the outworking. He uses yeah. two illustrations. He uses yeah. Abraham and David yes. as illustrations to explain this passage. So I'll read it. It says, um, this is Romans 4.1, What then shall we say that was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has yeah. something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And so the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, the, his faith is counted as righteousness. And it talks about David, but it says, the one who doesn't even work, but believes yeah. in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is then counted yeah. as righteousness. And so he, and he contrasts and says, okay, so you want to work? You're going to get your own wages. Yeah. Like you're going to get paid what you deserve then. And that's... Eternal damnation, in my opinion, right? That's, that's eternal separation from God. You're going to get what you deserve. Yeah, get what you deserve. So if you want to do this whole wages idea where your work's going to get you there, you'll get it. Yeah. But he says this is the contrast. The one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So this is a beautiful thing. We don't know, I know we've been going for a while, but uh, uh, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite stories is um, a guy named John Bunyan, right, 1600s. Wrote a book called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Yeah. There's this, this um, passage in Hebrews that talks about Esau not receiving his um, inheritance. And it's compared to people like not believing, basically, right? Not being justified before God. And so Bunyan spent years and years and years basically saying, Well, has my heart been changed? Have I, have, have I, am I part of this new covenant? I don't see the evidence of it. So therefore, I must not have it. And so he'd yeah. vacillate. He'd move back and forth. Say, "Well, I have. It. I think I have it. I think I have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it." And like he, he would just cry and weep, and it would just burden him all the time, right? Yeah. He was basically a tinker, right? He did metal work and stuff like that um, back in the 1600s. It wasn't until he heard some random woman on a street basically talking about like um, how glorious was the grace that she received. Um, they started working through Romans and realizing 
the idea that my righteousness is not being carried around. My right standing with God is not walking with me. My right, right standing with God is at the right hand of the Father right now. Yeah. That, that He is the foundation. So if I, if I am doubting or if I think I'm going to be saved by my own works, it's not walking with me. My righteousness is in heaven. What's that scripture, Colossians 2? Um, that we are counted as we are, or maybe it's Thessalonians that we are presented blameless and holy. Yeah, I have to look that up. Yeah, I think it's first Thessalonians. It says yeah. we are presented blameless and holy because of the work yeah. Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. That that is why we are presented. So when we see God, we will be blameless and holy. Yeah. But uh, the last, um, I want to read this. This is from um, what website was it? Evangelicalfocus.com. So, in contrast to the uh, Catholic system, the fundamental overarching concept to be grasped in the understanding of the Protestant system of salvation is that God imputes Christ's righteousness to the sinner by faith the moment one repents of one's sins and places one's faith in Christ. Thus, whereas in the Catholic system, the sinner is made righteous through a process that begins with baptism and ends with the completion of purgatory, etc., like I said. John Calvin says... A man is said to be justified in the sight of God when in the judgment of God he is deemed righteous and is, and is accepted on account of his righteousness. Thus we simply interpret justification as the acceptance with which God receives us into his favor as if we were righteous. Yeah. And we say that this justification consists in the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, so amputation is mean given to you. Right? Yeah. It's outside of yourself. It is it is placed upon you. Yeah. And a sense would be is that that um, a friend of mine used to always illustrate this idea of righteousness is that you're you're walking around wearing a tattered old raggedy coat and you and that is your righteousness, filthy rags, as Paul would say, right? And and Isaiah says that too, and that coat is taken off of you and you're given a new glorious coat. Yeah. That is the righteousness of Christ. And that's why a lot of people say you know, you being saved is a supernatural event yes. because Christ imputed his righteousness yes. in the moment you received, yes. you proclaimed faith. And that and you would, um, this is not contrary to you following after Jesus and pursuing him in sanctification. I'll be very clear about that. What shall we say that grace may, uh, shall we sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Yeah. Romans 6. Yeah. This isn't say, okay, oh, we're saved by grace. Oh, you can just do whatever you want. So example I have is that if you ask that question, I think you're on the right path, though. Like if you hear the gospel, it's like, how could this be so good? Yeah. How, oh, I can just do everything I want? Like, well, then no. You're, you're, st- you're on the right track to understanding, yeah, understanding what how, grace like, means. Understanding how radical the gospel is. Um, so I just want to give you the story. And, like, it, really personal, and I'm, I'm hesitant to share it, but, like, this is what happened with my mom is that my mom for years, we'd have these conversations about her saying she's saved by her works. And it was, I mean, I just, I repeatedly told her, I know you're saved by grace alone, that you're not saved by your works. You can't do anything good to save yourself or whatever. And I'd share passages like this. And she finally one day in my kitchen said, well, we can just do whatever we want then. And then I'm like, you're on the right track there. Yeah. Like that's the right track. And he says, no, because you're, you're presenting yourself as a slave to sin. Like you don't want that yeah. at all um, because you've been given a new heart. Um, but it, the grace of God is so radical, it, you expect that question to come. Yeah. And it, even to the, so that Paul literally repeats what you, that you're yeah. reading Paul's yeah, writing. Yeah, Romans 6.1 is what yeah. I just quoted. Paul yeah. literally says, so can we just go on sinning without yeah. regard? And he says, why, absolutely not. Yeah. No.
But um, thus the church is not the mediator of righteousness through the sacramental system as the Catholic Church understands it to be, but rather God himself directly justifies the sinner by imputing Christ's righteousness to the sinner through the Holy Spirit. According to the Protestant system, the sinner does not need to be made righteous in order to be considered as such by God, since Jesus Christ offers his righteousness yeah. to the sinner through repentance and faith. Yeah. In the Protestant system, there is an eschatological, eschatological. eschatological element to justification in which the believer is assured of God's final verdict, or he can be assured of his justification in the present, thereby bringing assurance to one's salvation. Yeah. This is to say, by faith, the believer has Christ's righteousness imputed to him or her once and for all, and therefore is assured of God's final favor, even though he or she continues to be imperfect. Yeah. And this is the last thing I'm going to read. It's uh, irony in the fact that we can have assurance in our salvation. The, this irony of assurance of one's salvation is in the face of one's knowledge of one's sin, which has been captured well by what John Calvin says. John Calvin says, but herein is the wondrous method of justification that clothed with righteousness of Christ, they dread not the judgment of which they are worthy. And while they justly condemn themselves, they are deemed righteous out of themselves. Yeah, so what that means is like, it says, uh, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, they dread not the judgment which they are worthy. We don't dread. We, yeah. we recognize that we deserve hell. Yeah. But the irony is that that's, how you become saved yeah. is when you know you deserve hell. Yeah. It's ironic. Yeah, it is. But it really is. And, and um, I would argue that I, I don't think that you necessarily need. So if you are, whatever your, your background is, if you haven't come to a point where you've recognized the depth of your sin. And that we need a savior. And that we desperately need a savior. And that, that, that Jesus is the only one who can do that. Your priest can't do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. Your church can't do it for you. Whoever you want to can't do it for you. Only the perfect, the one who lived the perfect life, who died a sacrificial death in your place and yeah. rose again can do that for you. Um, to be received by faith. Right, that you would place your trust in him. So this is the issue: is that you might have grown up in church, you might have been around all your life, but you might, you might think you're a Christian by proxy. I've I've been around all this Christian stuff, so therefore I'm a Christian. If you, you have by association, yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't come to the place where you have personally put your faith again, seen the depth of your sin, it doesn't mean you have to weep all the time, right? Seen the depth of your sin and the greatness and and how wonderful a savior Jesus is. And place your faith in him. This is what you need. You don't need your grandparents' faith. You don't need your pastor's faith or your priest's faith or the, or the pope's faith. You need your own faith to be made right with God. So that you will be declared righteous based 100%. on the, the, the work of Jesus. And I just learned this ironically a couple, about a month ago. But how do we get to heaven? Matt, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of yeah. heaven. Blessed are the people who have a longing for God. Yeah. Realize I can't do it on my own. Yes, that's how you enter the kingdom, kingdom yeah. of heaven. And you need you need to understand who Jesus is and what He did. But like, if you don't have that disposition, if you're not poor in spirit, Jesus means nothing to you. He might just be your buddy, or he might be you know, like just somebody to help you along and to make you feel better about your life. Not somebody to to deliver you from eternal separation from God. Yeah, and realize, like in Acts two, it says. When they were pierced to the heart, we yes. just crucified the Savior. That's 
the mindset that Christians today even have that our sin is the reason that Jesus yes. went to the cross for yes. that sin. So that's why we have to, it says, blessed are those who mourn. You have to mourn over your sin. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that like, you have to weep cry, in a certain way. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to sit in the corner and like rip your clothes. Understand the severity. Yes, you, know, like you, you need to feel and, and, and know and experience the depth of it. Yes. And that's not, the reaction is not going to be the same for everybody. Yeah. Like we can't judge by the outward yeah. action. Yeah. Like God will judge your heart, 100%. right? Um, and then there's the thing is that I think that Jesus, so many people are indifferent to Jesus because they don't see the depth of their sin. Yeah. Right, so one of my favorite preachers, a guy named Martin Lloyd Jones, he says this phrase: "Is that that he would spend the beginning of his sermons? And he's in Britain, uh, you know, London, back in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. He says something, something along the lines of like, I mean to upset you, <laughs> I because he, because he was he was sitting in there with people who didn't think they were sinners, yeah. who didn't think they were rebellious against God. So there's this this instance, this idea where like, I intend and I mean to upset you." Yeah, like in the best possible way, in an act of love, um, not not for their bad, but for their good. Yeah, I read a. I was watching something, and they said, you know, how should a sinner respond? He, he told a story. You know, Matt Keller, you're just such a great preacher. I see a heart for Christ. You know, yeah, yeah. you do this, you do that, you do. You know, you give to your church. You know, I just want to be more like you, and yeah. you should be like. And, and then whoever was saying this, I forgot who it was, said, "Yeah, but my hope's only in Christ." Yeah. Like that's what yeah. the true Christian in his yeah. heart believes. And, you know, he'll say, thank you, of course. You know, I appreciate that. But my hope's only in Jesus. Yeah. The so, work of the cross. And that's Philippians 2 is that, right, that uh, talks about Jesus condesc- condescending to, to become man. And at the very end, right, that it talks about every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, yeah. And I always make a contrast here. So be very clear, every knee will bow. Even the yeah. ones who don't, believe so, again, on earth for those who who have jesus and trust in him and him alone to be made right with god this is mo- going to be the most glorious rejoicing in the history of the world right yeah for those who don't know jesus this is going to be the scariest moment in the history of the world yeah every new about and uh I, that's one of my favorite scriptures philippines too because yeah. it says i mean this is kind of awful you're saying yeah. like even though he was equal with god yeah. he did not count equality with god something to boast about yeah that he humbled himself to the point of obedience on the cross. Yeah. And that's one of the, I mean, it puts in perspective that in God himself, God in the flesh, he was equal with the God we, you know. Yeah. And that he, it really puts in perspective that God himself it yes. died on the cross for yes. us and whatever. But Praise God for that. Yeah. Awesome. You ready to wrap it up? Yeah, thanks for doing this, Cole. Yeah, it was fun. Appreciate you uh, coming on here with me. Um, we just encourage y'all to really take what we've, we've told y'all today and, um, pursue these things pursue these questions pursue yeah. these things we said on y'all's own don't just believe our word for it don't believe the Catholic Church for it don't believe the preacher down the road's yeah. word uh, research see what the Bible is saying come to your own decision so um, with that being said God bless y'all awesome thanks for doing this man it was fun okay.